I'm a word preacher. Just walk with me a moment. Perhaps the cave where David took refuge overlooked the plain where King Saul was sleeping. Here's your Bible. Abner, Saul's chief captain, and the royal army had become complacent in protecting their weary king. All of them having fallen asleep, they had forgotten, incredibly enough, they had forgotten the brilliance of David's military mind. They should have been watching. They were chasing David to kill him. Under Saul's direction, they were in pursuit of David. They considered themselves as the predator only to find out that they were the prey. David saw them afar off. Perhaps the cave gave him a clearer view. In the night, David and one of his men, Abishai, crept to the camp of King Saul. The scripture says this. They found King Saul sleeping within the trench, his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster. There it was, the spear. Years prior, that same king threw his spear at David and it lodged in the wall. But now the spear is plunged into the ground. The Bible gives reference to it. Abishai, David's helper, saw that it was a convenient weapon, the irony of being killed by your own spear. Perhaps it was the very spear that threatened the life of David years prior. I would suppose that Abishai whispers to David there in the night. Let me just recap for a moment so all of us can grasp the narrative. Saul wants to kill David. He's jealous of David. He doesn't want David to take the kingdom or the throne. He's chasing David like a dog through the countryside. And David and Abishai see the king asleep down in the way. And Abishai turns to David in a whisper. Here it is, 1 Samuel 26. Abishai says, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore, let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear, even to the death at once, earth at once. And I will not smite him the second. I'll kill him the first time. Of course, this was not the only time that David spared Saul's life. But in that moment, coming face to face with the man who sought his own demise, David's heart was gripped and conviction overtook him. Abishai knew how difficult it was for David to take retribution on King Saul. He knew that David was a reluctant murderer. Even though Saul was wicked, vile, can I put it this way? Even though Saul was a backslidden king, and the monarch was ripped from his hand. God had rejected Saul, had given the kingship to David, even still. Even though Saul was attempting to turn back the judgment of God, he thought that if he killed David, he could secure the throne. But no one, ladies and gentlemen, can thwart the judgment of God. Let me just tell the church family, if it be of man, it's going to fall. Here's what Camellia said. But if it be of God and, and you try to overthrow it, you might be fighting against the Lord himself. If God decrees it, you're only going to hurt yourself trying to stop it. 
Go back in the Old Testament. Uzzah once put his hand on a falling ark and it cost him his life. They were carrying the ark the wrong way and he tried to steady it. Some things need to fall. God doesn't need your help. I want the Lord to call on me. I feel like I can help him. And the reason why is because I come from an Italian mother. The Italiano. Capiche? And my mother's license plate, because my mother's a, a nurse, her license plate says, God's are in. Does God need a nurse? I don't know. But if he does, he has one. She's driving a red Camry right now. Just in case he gets ill. That's right. He doesn't need my help. He's God all by himself. He's God before you knew that he was God. He'll be God after you find out that he is God. Hey. Hey. Let me just tell you how good he is. He's good when you're not good. And you'll never be good to get his goodness. He's good all by himself. In fact, he follows the counsel of his own will. Yes. And Abishai turns to David and says, David, I'll do it. One strike is all I need. But in the moment, standing there with the power to dispose of his problem, David said in verse 9, destroy him not. For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Whatever King Saul had made of himself, David still thought that he was the Lord's anointed. Whatever wickedness, hatefulness, evil, lost, maybe all those things were true, but Abishai, we won't touch him. I hope you grasp this today. David did not spare Saul's life. He saved his own. There's an unction in the Holy Ghost in me. There's an unction in here. Because I grew up in a, in a very different atmosphere and I'm burdened for my children, Pastor. One night a lady came to our church and we had never seen her before. We prayed for her on a cold winter's night, a Wednesday Bible study night. She had eight children with her. And she fell to the ground, the floor, got up, started to identify people. She had been blind for a long time. When she got up, her children collapsed. They're all on their knees speaking in tongues. She was healed in a moment of blindness. One man for about 40 years had not really gotten out of his wheelchair. His right arm was withered and crippled on a tray. We prayed for him. He reached up, grabbed the tray, got up out of his seat, ran around the church. My father is a visual man. He's not a good decorator, but he's a visual man. He doesn't know how to put colors together. Uh, he doesn't match his clothes right. He doesn't, his socks don't match. He matches them by, by thickness, I think. Um, he, he took a big eye hook, screwed it into the wall. He hung the wheelchair on the side of the wall. When Mother Burgess came to church for years, her lower spine had deteriorated in her back. She had no lower spine. She hadn't walked out of the wheelchair in five or six years. But one Sunday night, we went back and prayed for her, and Mother Burgess got out of the wheelchair and began to dance down the front of the aisle. 
My father put another eye hook on the wall. We hung wheelchairs on the side of our sanctuary wall. That was the decor. We're missing something. We are intoxicated on good worship and good preaching, but we've got to have an affirmation and a confirmation with miracles and signs and wonders. I cannot survive without miracles and signs and wonders. I'm not spoiled. I'm not spoiled. I'm not privileged. It should be for everybody. Cancer has got to be removed and liver disease has got to be removed and new kidneys have got to appear and diabetes has got to go. God has the power. But, but, but we've got a problem. David had a little problem, but Saul had the big problem. And David had such honor for the king. Amen. Adios. No problem. I've had four children. They used to scream and holler. My, my brother had kids. Every once in a while I would just say, if the whole Harpo family can leave, we can have church. No problem. I've dedicated over 180 children so far at New Life. We are babies are us. That's what our church is actually called. Babies are us. Sometimes they fall asleep like some of you. It's okay. No problem. Doesn't bother me. I've told this many times. When we came to Terre Haute 23 years ago, an elderly lady in our church used to keep church attendance. If you fell asleep, she'd make you absent. We wondered why, we wondered why Brother Simmons hadn't been in church in nine years. It don't bother me. I'll, I'll bring a neck pillow for you. Just have a good time. I'm just going to do my thing. Watch now. Watch now. You see, the level of honor determined David's viability because respect and honor is a choice. You know, our opinions often lead us into cliches. One of the cliches is that, that respect is earned. And I, I think I understand what that means. I, I, I think I understand the fragility of that. But the Holy Ghost has provoked me to question it. Is it really earned? Did Saul earn it with David? No, he did not. Were the actions of this backslidden king in alliance with God's will? No, it was not. If anything, Saul earned nothing but contempt. But it was not about what was earned. It was about the position. Stay with me now. Because the spirit has something to tell us. And the modern American church is struggling with miracles. We need to have open display of miracles. God didn't change. His power is not diminished. He's not lacking in any way. He wants to speak today. It's his desire to heal, to deliver today. And I am unwilling to preach for the duration of my life without the evidence of the Holy Ghost. He said signs will follow us. I believe signs have got to follow us. 
So watch now. Paul writes a letter to a man named Philemon. It's in your Bible. It's a 25-verse book, a one-chapter book. God thought it was important and critical enough to insert it into the Bible, the canon. Uh, we'll, we'll insert this from the book of Genesis to Revelation. There it is. We have to pay attention to all of them. Paul writes uh, to a man named Philemon. He's a wealthy member of the Colossian church. He writes about another man named Onesimus who was an indentured servant, a debtor perhaps, or someone considered a debtor. Onesimus has escaped. He runs from Philemon, and in time he finds Paul, and he's converted. Now he's a new convert, and Onesimus begins to serve Paul. We don't know when it happened, but at some point Onesimus confesses to Paul, hey, I'm going to tell you about my past life. I, I ran away from, from my debt. But now Onesimus is both a convert and a strength to the great apostle Paul, of whom there is very few equals. So Paul writes a letter to Philemon, and he sends Onesimus back to him. And Paul talks about the change in the life of this new convert. And Paul writes in, in, in the one chapter book, verse 10, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my, my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now he has done good for me. Look closely. Paul is the apostle. He is the founder. He is the voice of the people. He has headship and authority, and yet he will not dictate the outcome. He's only going to appeal. This is in your Bible. He writes to Philemon, verse 14, but without thy mind would I do nothing that thy benefit should not be as if it were necessity, but willingly. Let me read another version. But I do not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous, and I didn't force it. What do you call that, ladies and gentlemen? You call that honor and respect. So regardless if he's above or beneath, pure or corrupt, it's called honor and respect. The Bible gives us an instruction. We're struggling with it, but I'm compelled. Here's 1 Peter. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject to one another and be clothed with humility. For God is going to resist the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Did you catch it now? Above, beneath, or across, one to another. Whether up or down or across, honor, respect is the word. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to it. When we lose it in our language and our actions, it inhibits our spiritual depth because a lack of it damages our bonds of love and no amount of good church can cover up a lack of honor in the house. You can deal with this. I'll just let you know. Spiritual gifts are inhibited when there is no honor. The lack of respect will destroy a marriage. A depletion of honor. It's seen in our, our culture today. People get angry with their children for what they allow them to do at home. <laughs> oh, I'm not meddling. I know right where I'm at. I feel like I'm talking to the body here tonight because what's going to happen out of this is we're going to have an explosive thing happen. You don't have a sign big enough 
to advertise one person being healed of cancer. Your budget for your advertisement will not ever reach the point of one person delivered from an incurable disease because when someone is delivered and they come out they're going to tell everybody they know and their friends are going to tell them and this house is not big enough already amen I know I'm in the Holy Ghost I know I'm walking in the spirit now. I'm not satisfied with our American philosophies. I'm not preaching to get us through another Sunday night service. I want to tell you, we don't have time to lose. I don't want to learn how to cope. You don't need to learn how to cope. God can heal your body. One man in our church, he was one of those guys, you know, they, they like the church. They sit on the pew. They never really come to prayer. They're not really engaged. And, and now his liver is failing him. All of that past lifestyle, all those drugs, now his liver is almost gone. Doctor says, you're going to die. You need a new liver. We can't get you on the list yet. Here, take this injection. You'll be comatose most of the day. If your body accepts it, you can live for another few years on this injection, this hard drug. He takes the drug. He's on the drug. But I'm preaching one day and I'm talking about the power of the Holy Ghost and what, what, what you have to do. God's going to do something and something gets in his mind and he just says, his name is Mark, something got in his mind. He, he said to God, this is what he told me. I told God, if you heal me, I'll run around this church. Woo. And he said this to me, pastor. He said, and God spoke back to me and said, no, you run and then I'll heal you. Listen, listen, I stopped preaching because that guy had been part of the frozen chosen for as long as I've been the pastor. He ain't moved. He was fossilized. He, that guy, I don't know where he came from, but when he got up out of his seat and started running around the church, people looked, what happened? I didn't know what he was doing. He never told me. He went back Monday to the doctor. The doctor gave him the shot. He had a reaction. They put him in the hospital. The doctor said, I don't know what happened. You, you should not have a reaction. Let's do some scans. They did the scan. They did the CT scan. They, don't, they said, oh my, what happened here? You've got a brand new liver. Your body has a brand new liver in it. said it was impossible but with God all things are possible everyone said amen sit down thank you <laughs> just clap your hands when you get there because he's still a good guy whether you're standing or Come on, clap your hands and shout to God. He's a good God wherever you're sitting or standing. Yay! I'm, I'm not going to 
be boisterous in this statement. But I think some of you would receive it if I were. When I'm through, either tonight or in the coming days, here's the prophetic word, there will be a tangible, viable miracle in the lives of people. And it's contingent if we get this right. We're not there yet. There's a little lady in the Bible. They call her the Shunammite woman. She's married. The prophet comes by and she says to her husband, you know, I perceive this is a holy man of God keeps coming by our house. Let's build him a room. Let, 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 let's, let's build the room. You build it, I'll decorate it. We'll put a bed and a table there and a chair and let's get some candlesticks from Perry Crossing. Kirkland's have some good things. <laughs> he comes by and now he has a place to stay because the woman has a spiritual thought to honor the man of God. She opens up the provision of her home to honor the man of God so that he can't do anything else but go there. If it's never built, then there is no welcome. The Bible says to honor elders, double honor. The Bible says everyone of you should Know how to possess your own body with honor. The Bible says, honor the father and mother. It's the first commandment with promise. The Bible says, be kindly affectionate to one another and in honor prefer one another. It's all through the scripture. When young people or children from the church come to our house and my wife says to them, kids, would you like to come down for a dinner or would you like to come to the table and one of them says what huh sister Tammy says ma'am cause she's from the south and they have manners and that sounds old fashioned but it's not even the south that's called respect look at this in the development years of Joshua, Moses rebuked him. But Joshua did not dishonor the man of God just because he was rebuked. Instead, he learned how to accept it and keep serving. Elijah outright rebuked the young Elisha, but Elisha didn't get bitter and angry and walk away. Instead, he said, you're right. And he went back and burned the plow, killed the oxen, just to show the elder prophet that he would do whatever it took to follow him. It was a choice and it resulted in powerful leadership and double anointing. And I bring you to the most pivotal point of the revelation found in the word. Matthew chapter 13 verse 54. Speaking of Jesus. When he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. They were astonished. They said, where... Did this wisdom come from? How did he do these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? We know his mother, Mary, his brothers, James, 
Joseph, Simon, Judas, we know them as sisters. We've known them. Where did he get all these things? Here's verse 57. They were offended in him. But Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor. Let me, let me unpack that. A prophet has no honor in his own place. He has honor everywhere else, but not in his own house. Here's verse 58. And Jesus did no mighty works there because of their unbelief. He came to his hometown with the very people that were familiar with him. They were people that he knew, and he was common among them. Daily obligations, routine, food, trading, crops, meat, bread. All the community shared stories. Education was the part of their collective culture. Jesus has already established his power. The centurion servant healed with a single word. A woman with an issue of blood healed instantly. The daughter of Jairus brought back to life. A paralytic man lying on a mat, withering away. Jesus healed them all and more. He had multitudes of disciples. He had healed lepers and renowned for his parables and command of the law. But when he came back home, something changed. What they offered him beyond the border was not found in his own house. He taught in the synagogue with profundity. He was unmatched. His wisdom left them bewildered. They never saw such insight. They said, where did it come from? All of these mighty works and his wisdom. And now comes the choice. They knew he was powerful. They knew he had knowledge and wisdom beyond their comprehension. But they chose to dishonor him. They put him in the box called familiarity. They tied him up. They bound him with their disrespect and their disregard. They remembered him as a child. They were familiar with his parents, Mary and Joseph, his brothers and his sisters, even though he had wisdom and power. Per their own evaluation, they still chose to dishonor him. And their dishonor caused a ripple in their lives that would never be undone. They were offended in him, and he could do no mighty work there. Another verse says of that, and he could only save a few sick folk, but he could do no mighty works because of their un belief and in a single stroke of disrespect they nullified their ability to receive from the incarnate God they did not negate his power they just removed themselves from the depths of his omnipotence they did not remove his ability no one can cancel his strength they just blocked it he came to his own and they didn't receive him there was no honor and without honor without honor there was no healing the miracle and the healing did not come from the resource of his power. It came by the level of their honor. Here it is. Are you ready? We think that a lack of miracles is due to a lack of faith. Jesus thinks a lack of miracles is due to a lack of honor. I'm in the word. The Lord is at the point of his death. He's accused merely of blasphemy. Pilate wants to maintain peace among the Jews. They capture Jesus and they find him in the garden. No one really knows who he is. It's under the cloak of night, the clanging of the soldiers' swords. The temple priest and guards arrayed in their attire with plumed heads and scarlet sashes. They find their way to the Lord's favorite prayer room. 
When they get there, they need someone to identify Jesus. That's where Judas comes in. All the disciples now are awakened. They're all gathered around. It's a large group of people on that northern side of that mountain. Judas identifies Jesus, and he leans forward to kiss Jesus on the cheek. Think, think. On his way to hell, Judas Judas kissed the door of heaven. They bring him down through the Kidron Valley and on to the house of Caiaphas. He's the high priest. Annas is there also. They beat Jesus along the way, and when they get there, they're beating him in the face. And Caiaphas begins to ask Jesus questions. He is already bruised and already swollen, abused. But Jesus talks with the high priest. Jesus answers Caiaphas. Caiaphas, you see, he's never seen a real high priest. It's been almost 1,100 years since the days of King Josiah, who was the last of Judah's obedient kings, when a real head or a real high priest was ever seen. Jesus is the first headship that Caiaphas has ever seen. He's never seen any real spiritual authority in his life until he saw Jesus. When they take Jesus to Caiaphas, there is a conversation that ensues, even though Jesus is beaten. He doesn't get the answer that he wants. He wants to kill him. So they rush the Lord off in that night to Pilate. And then Pilate speaks to Jesus. Pilate represents the Gentiles. Pilate has never known any spiritual authority, no pastor, no headship. This is Pilate's first encounter with a spiritual shepherd. And Jesus is speaking to Pilate. Pilate tries to negotiate a way out for the Lord. But when the Lord refuses, they send the Lord off to Herod's house, King Herod. Herod Antipas, the same Herod of Matthew 14. When they get there, Jesus will not speak to Herod. But Herod's excited to see Jesus. He's anticipated this moment. Let me read it to you in the Bible, Luke 23 and 8. When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad. For he was desirous to see him of a long season. He had heard many things of him, how he hoped to see him do some miracles. He questioned Jesus in many words, but Jesus answered him nothing. Wait a second. Jesus spoke with with Caiaphas, who beat him. He spoke with Pilate, who who had the power to, to crucify him. But when it came to Herod, Jesus didn't utter a word. Why? Why would you talk to the high priest? Let me tell you why. That was the first head they had ever seen. That was the first authority they had ever seen. Why would you talk to Pilate? Pilate had the power to kill you. I'll tell you why. Because Pilate had no pastor. He had no authority. He had no headship. But Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch, is asking questions. He's wanting a word. He's been wanting to see Jesus for a long time. Some interaction. There's no one greater than Jesus. He's this miracle performer. But when Herod starts to speak, there's no words now. 
Even his own words, Herod reveals the fear when he hears of Jesus. He, he thinks this is John that's coming back from the dead. Why would Jesus speak to Pilate and Caiaphas but not Herod? Caiaphas never seen a high priest or a pastor. Pilate never seen a high priest or a pastor. But Herod, you see, Herod already had a pastor. His name was John the Baptist. And Herod cut the head of his pastor off. <laughs> Hear me when I tell you. And when you cut the head of your authority off, Jesus has nothing to say to you. I'm going to tell you, we get this right. We get this honor thing right. I'm not here to preach this because this first family wants me to say it. I'm here by direction and divine order of the Holy Ghost. Now you can receive that or not. I hope you receive it. Somebody say, I receive it. Um, Pastor Stark has told me many stories. Sister Stark told me this. A family in the church years ago, it wasn't their church, but years ago, they, they were a little aloof. They never, they never even called the pastor at home by his, first, by his, by his pastor name or, or reverence, always by his first name. Their little boy was born, and they, they, you know, they did all the dutiful things, but when that little boy got to be about 11, he had a, a horrible disease, and the parents panicked. They called the pastor over to the house. It was the first time that they ever had this kind of conversation. Pastor and his wife walked in to lay hands on the little boy. But you see, the problem is the little boy recoiled. He didn't want them to touch him. He didn't know them. He didn't trust them. So when it was time for prayer to be healed, the home had such disrespect that when the pastor and his wife walked in to pray, there was no acceptance. Now they put on a good front, but the 11-year-old won't put on the front that the parents put on. Consequently, there was no laying on of hands because he didn't want them to touch them. Billy Cole went to Ethiopia many years ago. And when he went to Ethiopia, at one point, 67,000 people received the Holy Ghost at one time in one service. When Pastor Stark was there, they rented a platform and a sound system that the Pope had, had, had used. It was over 100 feet long. This massive field, there was a half a million Ethiopians that had traveled. They brought food. They came from all the region and gathered there. And when they prayed, 67,000 people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost for the first time speaking with other tongues. They brought people that had no teeth and rotten out gums, they prayed for them and they were miraculously healed. One person had, had an arm that had been severed. They prayed, an arm grew back in his sleeve. They wheeled a little boy in a wheel, a wheelbarrow. His back of his head touched the back of his, his, his heels. He was bent over the wrong way. They dumped him on the dirt and the ministers went down and said, in Jesus' name, and that little boy stood up straight and he was healed from that day forward. They put their eyes into the, into the empty sockets of the head and eyeballs grew back in their head. 
When the ministers got off the bus to get there after traveling, the people welcomed them with pies and cakes and singing, and they bowed down to the ministers. And when Billy Cole came back, people said, you must have been powerful over there. No, he said, we were not powerful in Ethiopia more than we are here. We're the same men. It's just the people thought we were more powerful. I'm going to put my hand on you, but if you don't believe that God can heal you and you have disrespect and dishonor, let me tell you, if you don't get this right, you're going to have a few miracles in your life. But if you want real deliverance and powerful and wheelchairs and blinded eyes and the crippled and the lame, there's got to be honor and there's got to be respect. Jesus wants to do it. He wants to do it. It's not up to him. It's up to me. I got a prophetic word for the church tonight. I didn't come here to preach a fancy sermon. I didn't come to set anything in order. I just came to present the word to you. If we get honor and respect back. Pastor, I'm not drifting. I just, I'm not drifting. I'm not drifting. I'm not drifting. Life and death are in the power of your tongue. That's the word. Life and death are in the power of your tongue. You can speak yourself into into misery and depression. You can speak yourself into joy. You can speak yourself into into honor or disrespect. You can, it's all in your own tongue. Jesus says you're justified or you're condemned by your own word. That's what he said. Okay, Joshua, here we're going to go. You're going to go into the promised land. First place you find is Jericho. Huge fortified walls. Nobody can traverse the walls. Nobody can break through the walls. Here's what God said to Joshua. March around the, the, the city one time for six days in a row. Each day, one time. On the seventh day, march seven times. At the end of the seven times, blow the trumpet. Let the worshipers lead. I'll give you the victory. Now they have this conversation. Joshua goes back. He goes back to the people. What did Joshua say? He said, the Lord said, for six days, we're going to walk around each day one time. On the seventh day, we're going to walk around seven times. At the end, we're going to blow the trumpets and shout, and the worshipers are going to lead. And then Joshua adds to it. God did not say this. Joshua said, and while we're doing it, nobody say a word. Can I be, can I be inappropriate? My wife's not here. Shut up and march. We're not allowed to say that, but she's two hours away and just, just don't text her. Don't tell her. You see, Joshua's there when 10 spies open up their mouth and defamed the power of God and said, we can't do it. And they said, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. Just for all of you in the animal kingdom, grasshoppers don't eat grapes. So if you think you're a grasshopper, you're never going to get the grape. I'm going to tell you, if you put this in your mouth and put it in your stride and put it in your step and I'm going to honor everybody and there's the man of God, there's the lady of God, here's the first family, we're going to honor and give respect. Let me tell you what opens up to you. 
above or beneath or across. That's what Billy Cole said. He said, when we came back to America, the people liked to hear the stories. But when we started to prophesy and to preach, people were not being healed and we figured it out. They didn't believe that we had the power and the authority and they disrespected us. And when they disrespected, there was no mighty miracle. But the next time they went back, 78,000 received the Holy Ghost. And another time they think it was about 100,000 people received the Holy Ghost. Don't you know that 100, 200, 300 people can get the Holy Ghost in one service here? Do you know what's about to happen here? I'm not trying to make you nervous, but you're already outgrown this sanctuary. And if you ever get the honor and the respect right, there's going to be so many miracles you won't be able to hold the people that talk to the other people that you've never heard about. You don't even know who they are. I feel a little flesh. I feel a little flesh spirit rise up against me now. You know exactly where I'm at. I feel a little, little, little resistance in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is showing me there's a little flesh here. We're going to crucify the flesh. Now, listen, I am provoking you. <laughs> but I think I can provoke you to good works. I want to provoke you. Listen to me, sir. God wants to do a powerful work in your life. Don't bargain with God. Tell him what you're going to do first, and then God will do the second part later. Hear me, you put, this in your, you put this in your church and everybody has honor and respect? Look, you've got the angel to the city. I said it when I started. The angel to the city. This probably would be a little bit better if he was not here. But let me just talk, talk about him for a second. He's not any ordinary man. He's a man of God. I'm not, listen, I, I, I'm sorry I had to qualify all this stuff. I'm not saying this, I don't say any of this to score points. I already know who I am with him. I already got that settled. I don't have to come here and preach. I'm not coming here for his benefit. I'm coming here for the city of Lafayette, the benefit of the body and the people that are not yet saved. I've come here with the word of God because there's going to be a miracle. There's going to be a sign, a healing, a wonder. Can you receive it tonight? Just lift up your hands right now. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Say it, Lord. Say it, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus.
Just stand with me now, if you will. Just stand to your feet. And I want you to pray first that the Lord would clean you of every thought that would resist his word. And even if you had no thought, just say, Lord, just cleanse me of that, like a whiteboard being wiped. Amen. Amen. Uh, we're at a point here that churches are filled not just with entertainment junkies, but news junkies. And if you're listening, watching, or reading the news, it'll it'll inhibit your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Many years ago, I was traveling. Um, I was, I was, it's been a long time ago. I was single. I was traveling. I was preaching in France. And the Navakis took me to a very exclusive perfumery. And uh, I was brought over to one cologne of perfume and it was so good, so rich. And then immediately after that, the attendant handed me a little jar of, of coffee beans. And I had to smell the coffee beans to erase the aroma of the first fragrance. Because if I went from one fragrance to another, one smell to another, the second smell was distorted and I could not grasp what the second smell was because it mingled with the first. I had to clean my sensitivity. <laughs> and when the church is so engrossed in politics and in the world and in the news and the word of God is being preached, we're, so, we're struggling to feel the sensitivity of the Holy Ghost because we've been smelling and reading all the fragrances of the world. That's why you need to fast. Because <laughs> fasting is the way that you die. It's a grueling process. Trust me when I tell you. I'm addicted to it. <laughs> I'm on my fourth day right now. I'm addicted to it. I, I just got to tell this. I don't, I don't I know if anyone knows anything about fasting, you're, you're going to understand. If you don't know, if you're a shallow understand, a believer, then you won't get this. I've fasted 40 days 11 times. Wow. Now, wait a second. That's not for adoration. That's for encouragement. That's not so you could, that's not, listen, you go on a fast you'll wish you weren't on a fast. About day 32, I'm calling my pastor saying, uh, you got to pray for me, but I'm seeing spiritual things and fighting and I'm cleaning the palate because I'm hungry for God. I don't care what you think about me. I'm hungry for God. I don't care what people think about me. Don't judge me by my suit. Don't judge me by my car. Don't judge me by my language. I'm hungry for God. I'm desperate for a powerful New Testament outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. 
I'm not, I was born in the fire. I will die in the ashes. I don't want to go to a church where there's no miracles. But I found out when they disrespected him, he could do no mighty miracle because they had no honor. I'm going to tell you right now, God is going, I got to say it again, Pastor. When I leave tonight or in the coming weeks, if you get this right, God is going to give you a tangible, viable, verifiable miracle in this house. Uh, in the name of Jesus, let it be. Lift up your hand and say, in the name of Jesus, let it be.